0: Okay. No surprises this week, Eric. Swear to God. No surprises this week. Uh, What the hell is going going on?
1: Oh, Brian! Hi! Come on in! Come on, just, you know, push, push people out of the way. It's okay. Eric, what are you doing here? Oh, oh. Oh right, <laughs> all the people. Okay, well, I had this idea. I thought, you know, okay, we're gonna do Ellis Island, and it's gonna be all about immigration. What better way to kind of expose ourselves to the history, to the to become a part of it? So, you know, I just kind of set us up as a as an immigration depot. You know, this where people come through and they get their papers, and we do all the work. It's great. It's gonna be great. So there's only like 40, 42,000 left. It's fine. It's gonna be fun. It'll be like think of it like a like a like a seven month. Giving back to the community kind of project. I have no words. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I can just—I can tell by the look on your face and the and the tears swelling up in your eyes that that—that's thank you enough. Hmm. Huh. I wonder what got him so upset. Oh no 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 no! no the lightsaber is very expensive. Put it down, please.
0: Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty, and I am extremely tired. Also known as Eric Brickmont. Hello, folks. Hello, folks. Um, you're wondering probably why our episode was so short last week. Well, we've decided that um, we're, we're we're trying to add a little more balance to our lives.
1: Yeah, and and one way that we can do that is if we kind of double up our episodes in one recording session and then release them over the period of two weeks. It gives us a little extra time. It, it gives our incredibly hardworking editor, Sean, also some extra time because
0: it takes a lot of effort to make us sound uh, good. Yeah. yeah. And c- considering that we've done usually longer recordings in the past, where we usually record anywhere from about an hour and a half to sometimes an hour and 40 minutes, and then release it as sometimes an hour and 20, sometimes it's a 55-minute uh, episode, we thought, well, let's let's do a nice happy medium. Let's do a 45-minute episode Do about what would ultimately be about an hour and forty minutes of recording every week and still have two decent length episodes that you guys get every single week.
1: Yeah, and quite honestly, you know, we're listening to listener feedback at this point because we've gotten that suggestion many times that, you know, hey, our episodes are great, amazing content, but sometimes they can maybe run a little bit long. And it's nice to have something a little more easily digestible, maybe something that you can listen to a little more quickly. And I think our compromise is to kind of have maybe two episodes that are back to back to one another each week. That have n- maybe not the same exact topic, but similar themes to them, right? So you sure. can kind of continue along with that uh, with that whole ebb and flow of a little bit of a longer
0: episode. Correct. And you kind of saw this a couple weeks ago when we did the telescope mm-hmm. episodes. We did that was more of a it was an unspoken two parter. We didn't really advertise it as a two parter, but it was very much a two parter.
1: Yeah, you might see the the end of those part one, part twos at this point, because some episodes are going to be a little bit more similar to one another, so right. they're going to have unique titles, but they'll be you know close in content. Yeah.
0: We'll still do the part one, part twos every now and again like we do uh, normally, but we're just trying to find kind of a, an idea where we can have two similar topics that kind of flow into the next, but still can be self-contained yeah. as their own episodes. I agree. So uh, we are continuing that this week. Yeah. Uh, last week, we had talked about the Statue of Liberty. Uh, Of course, in lieu of July 4th, uh, or at least just on the tail end of July 4th. And we thought, well, what can be more American than the story of America? And really, the story of America is one that is founded in some other land where people come to us, right? Right. And if you talk about uh, the technicality of it all, right? We all
1: are immigrants. We all came from somewhere else. Everybody. Everybody. 100% 100% Everybody. of our of our population. Yeah, we're not just talking about the United States either really. If you want to get really macro for a moment, right, we're talking about the entire world population. You know, as, as as best as archaeologists can pinpoint, we all came from, you know, the oldest human remains that are identifiable as as really, you know, Homo sapiens. We go back even further when we're talking about hominids, right? Uh but they're located in Africa. And that's, that's where we started, folks. And we've we branched out and we've explored this globe and we've populated it. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's beside the point. I think that we're bringing it back to America. We're, we're talking about the foundation of this country as we know it today is based on, on people coming from somewhere else and coming with maybe a common ideology and a common idea of what they want out of life. Maybe not necessarily the same religion, maybe not necessarily the same political beliefs or whatever they are, but the same hope. And that's what kind of brings us together. Um, of course, we also have to acknowledge those who have been here for many thousands of years before
0: Europeans came to the Americas. Right, the indigenous uh, populations that we associate who came over in the Bering Strait migration about ten to 12,000 years ago. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, these folks, um, they're, they're very much a part of American history
1: now. And we've all kind of merged together. And, and it hasn't been uh, the most peaceful merger if you will you know it involved quite a bit of murder
0: in fact Mm, Uh, yeah and that's going to be the case whenever you have warring cultures i mean the indian nations that were in america prior to european colonization were also warring with one another sure it's unfortunately human nature is such that one group that's different from one another will try to kill the other one when it comes to then when they believe that the land is their land but as we've learned, this land is your land, and this <laughs> land is my land. And land is land, is my opinion, really. Yeah,
1: it's just, it's land.
0: We all live on it. I was we all to just make, share it and be nice to one I was trying another? to make a pun to the song, of course. Oh, you know, this land is my man, land. Yes, exactly. Oh, and this land is your land. Right, from the Redwood Forest to the New York Islands. Which we're going to turn our focus to today. <laughs> exactly. And in one particular island in New York, and that being Ellis Island. Yeah, Technically, it's actually in New Jersey, but nevertheless.
1: Well, technically, yes. yes. But it's also officially part of, of New York. Yeah. Uh, there has been a lot of debate as to whether or not that island belongs to Jersey or New York. And the truth is, at one point, it, it's just, it's belonged to both. Yes.
0: Currently, it's under the jurisdiction of the state of New Jersey. But the uh the harbor that goes through there it does it, honestly it really doesn't matter because it's one harbor authority that that ferries the tourists to Ellis Island from from Liberty Island. So uh it's semantics really is what it comes down to. Right.
1: And when we're talking about the current population in America and we look at one third of the over three hundred million people who live in America today, they really are the descendants of about twelve million who came through Ellis Island in that uh, in that large wave of immigration that happened from the 1890s up until, you know, really 1954 is when when the island stopped functioning in any capacity as, as an immigration point. Um, it it, it stopped when, even before that in yeah. a
0: large capacity, but it was also when you have a couple of things going on in the 1950s, right? You have the dawn of affordable air travel. Right, So the need to immigrate through maritime transportation is less necessary. Or even more than that,
1: just the development of established embassies in other nations where people could petition to immigrate into the United States from there, have all that paperwork yeah. already done, taken care of,
0: uh, and then be able to come more or less at their leisure, if you will. Exactly. The, the changes in American foreign policy made it a lot easier for those to come to this country kind of yes and yeah. no it would a very turbulent history you know it, it, it's 19- always been a turbulent history yeah. this was a point in time though where it was starting to get to get easier to it, come into the country
1: for certain individuals absolutely yes. yeah, for for others not so we're not so lucky yeah uh, for those countries that did not have established us embassies it made them made it practically impossible and war you know Ellis island would continue to have an influx of people who were refugees from you know, very serious uh, wars and other situations of, you know, genocide and other um, going-ons within foreign nations, uh, and they would be received in great numbers at times. So, you know, a lot of that change and transition really happened in the 1920s, uh, and then was kind of finalized and already in place by the time Ellis Island closed down in in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. But- to your point, and to my point, really, it just speaks to a changing in times. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't always like that. You know, it, when we talk about the 1850s, and we go back before Ellis Island, immigration was all handled by the states. This was not something that was, was managed by the federal government. Uh, each state had its own kind of rules, laws, and regulations for handling immigrants who were coming into right. the United
0: States. We have to remember that up until really the the expansion of the federal power that didn't really come until about the 20th century, right? Um, we had a far more... When we're talking about old an old sense of federalism, it was a very... It was almost confederal in that, that uh, the states were giving the federal government a lot of its power. Confederal? Yeah. Yeah. So sort of shirtless,
1: a yeah. lot of pictorials.
0: Yeah. Long hair. No, no, no. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to... Do not misquote me, folks. I do not mean to... Make a mistake in referencing the Confederacy? Not at all, because that was a far less powerful. I was talking about Khan Noonien Singh personally. I don't know. I, you're I know exactly about. what you were trying. To make. <laughs> Ricardo montabon I get it. He had amazing pecs. Uh, so now let's move forward. Um, God, we're so nerdy. But anyway, I don't mean to be mistaken to talk about the Confederacy of the South. Not at all. A confederal government. Is one in which the provinces have more power than the states do. Or, yes. or, or I should say, provinces have more powerful than the national government. Right. I, I, yeah, I got what you're saying there. Yeah. yeah.
1: And you'll find that, you know, in New York in particular, before Ellis Island came into existence, as that state was oftentimes having a lot of people influxing in, as we talked about in our last episode, right? It was seen as kind of a, uh, a symbol of American immigration even before you know, Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty, Uh, you had Castle Garden uh, at Battery Park that was serving that function. Sure. When we we talk about the 12 million people who came through during the period that Ellis Island was in uh, operation. You had nearly 8 million people come through during that earlier period. Almost an equal amount of time. So you're looking from about 1855 to 1890 is when uh, Battery Park was, was, and Castle Garden was bringing in... uh, and processing, yeah. and they realized during this time that uh, they had a very serious problem on hand, and that was the facilities that they had were substandard. Uh, they had a lot of problems, and there was a lot of corruption going on too. So there were situations where you know many immigrants were being taken advantage of uh, by by
0: this you know people who were who were running. Not surprising, place. considering that New York City, at this point, was a heavily corrupt government. Uh, you know, you're talking about Tammany Hall being in full swing at this point. Yeah. Or it, just around this point in time, so.
1: And they were seriously ill-equipped, underfunded, and they were just unprepared to take in the sheer number and growing number of immigrants that were coming in. Because when we're talking about this period of about 50 years at the end of the 19th century, that's a pretty turbulent time yeah. uh, in many places around the world, particularly in Europe, right? where you have a lot of these old and traditional monarchies going through some pretty serious changes. Right. You've got a, a lot of political upheaval. You've got a lot of very serious problems developing that would eventually give way to the First World War. Uh, and with that in those periods just before and also just after the First World War, it, an enormous influx.
0: Indeed, and it really starts in 1850 with a couple different things. In 1848, you have – we have kind of referred to it back in our one-year episode inter, under our one-year anniversary – You have the potato famine that took place in Ireland, uh, which was, uh, if you want to talk about one of the greatest atrocities in history, you know, one fifth of Ireland's population died, if not more, if I'm not mistaken, like 20 million people A lot of people died. From starvation, and a lot of it, unfortunately, had to deal with with negligence of the British government at the time, too.
1: Which is why we're talking about an atrocity as opposed to a purely natural disaster.
0: Exactly. Uh, Though, I mean, it really is a combination of both because it was a mold that took place that wiped out all these potato crops. But the potato had become so. But the potato, in and of itself, is such a nutritious food that it had worked its way very heavily into the Irish diet, and like like over half the diet was based out of potatoes. And if you can't grow well, that imagine if the corn production in america were to decline like we we're
1: talking about during our global warming episode you would have a very similar situation yeah. in america
0: i mean unfortunately no there are these stories you hear about green mouths. it's because uh, the irish were so hungry and they were starving so bad they started eating grass yeah. which their body can't the body human body cannot digest grass that's why we have cows <laughs> no, i'm serious <laughs> yeah we eat cows because we cannot eat grass they eat grass we get the nutrients from the cows who eat the grass. Uh, or we plant potatoes because the n- nutrients from the earth go there and we eat those. Right, because you can't eat soil. Exactly. exactly. So um, you have a massive influx of Irish immigrants in the 1950s. You also have uh, influx, though not on the on the uh, East Coast more, you also have influx of Chinese immigrants as well. Sure. So you do have a good portion going through New York as well as San Francisco. Majority of them are going to come from Northern
1: and Western Europe. So Correct.
0: English, Irish, German Scandinavians, well.
1: Germans. Uh, these Italian. were all folks, Italians, of course, who were who were flooding in, and they they very quickly realized, as I said, that they needed a new location, they needed new facilities, they needed staff that were trained, and they needed to have a plan. Is what they needed more than anything. Uh, they they needed to coordinate all of this to make sure that you know people weren't being taken advantage of, uh, and that you know these these folks who made this tremendous effort and. In many cases, that's exactly what it was, a tremendous effort to get here, could get here and be fairly processed. Even with an established, you know, uh, building and and all that I've talked about in place, it still wasn't nearly as easy as it sounds. And there were a lot of problems even on Ellis Island. And we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, the choice of Ellis Island is kind of an interesting one because the island itself is actually very, very small. Uh, you know, originally it started out as just being a little over three
0: acres. H- having been there, I mean, I haven't been on the island, but I was the ferry that we took when I was at the Liberty Island. Stopped by there. The land is basically big enough to hold the building. It's not much bigger than that. Well, that, that's a small park on the on the outskirts of it, but it's very very tiny.
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure what side of the the, the ship you were. Or what side of the island you were looking on, because yeah, it is it is small in that initial part, but they expanded it and it grew to be over twenty-seven acres. Uh because they they literally built the island up and built a lot of other buildings and facilities. Still
0: twenty-seven acres is not that much room. It's not.
1: And what you are seeing mostly is the museum, is the is the original grand grand hall. That where most of that processing took place, nearly the entire other portion of that island is is completely closed off to the public you're not you're not allowed to go anywhere near there because the buildings are so dilapidated at this point. so imagine an originally though teeny tiny little place uh which was originally known by the local Native American tribes as Gull Island. Um, and this was actually due to the really
0: rich abundance of oyster beds that were there. So, you know, the goals would come down and... As we referred and, to. Because mm-hmm. uh, Bedloe Island, which we've, now we know as Liberty Island, was also a rich place of oyster beds. But of course, again, they're within distance of one another. You can see them <laughs> exactly. from each other. Uh, and then
1: the, the Dutch and, all, and and English also uh, referred to it as Oyster Island uh, during, the, the, during the colonial periods. Uh, it was eventually purchased by by ellis the the individual you know for who the the name is uh is given for uh, whom for whom excuse me brian moriarty sorry i was me. speaking for sarah because she would wrap you on the you for that. honestly i think sarah would have given me a pass Mm-mm. i think you are honestly worse than sarah really yeah i really do wow yeah i no, think that is are. not true i i don't uh, okay listeners you, if you listen, to Nerds on uh, Nerds on Film, you, you've gathered enough knowledge and of about Sarah to I think uh, form that opinion. So I'm going to let that uh, go to the to the listeners there,
0: folks. You've never written blog posts for her, <laughs> okay? That's all I'm going to say. We're
1: not talking about blog posts. We're talking about spoken grammatical error. Let's move on. Okay, fair enough. Uh, now, before it's time, as a as that immigration point, for quite a while, almost 200 years. Uh, the site actually served as a very important military base for the United States government. Um, and and there's a whole lot that I could really go into that, but it kind of deviates away from from the, the point of our topic. But it's worth mentioning because it's an important aspect of its history. Uh, it was eventually, however, purchased uh, by New York State in 1808 and slowly began to uh, get closer and closer to what would eventually be its primary function, what it's well known for. Uh, and that is, of course, you know, moving away from you know Castle Clinton and the Castle Garden Battery and, and moving that location now to Ellis Island. And that was in 1890. So they built this beautiful structure, um, constructed out of Georgia Pine. And it was uh, very elaborate. It was very, I don't want to use the word gaudy, but it certainly caught your attention. Right, and when you're thinking about this time period and you're thinking about these iconic symbols of America and you think about everything that these immigrants went through to get to america it it must have been a very powerful sight to come across, even if it's an original form um because this uh this first building that was constructed burned down uh you know not not too long later unfortunately um. It, it caught fire in, in, excuse me, 1897 on my birthday, actually, of June 14th. I had nothing to do with this, I swear. It is no omen at all. No one was killed, but the building went up in flames and went up very, very quickly. And nobody knows exactly how the fire started, um, but it's uh, it's very sad for a lot of reasons because, mm. you know, not only did it delay the uh, You know, the further use of this great facility, which had proven that it could really handle a huge workload. Um, But it also meant the destruction of immigrant records going back to 1855, Mm. because everything that was over at Castle Garden had simply been, you know, moved and relocated over to
0: Ellis Island and when it went up
1: in flames, all those records went up in flames along with it.
0: Very sad. Yeah, very, very sad for those who are trying to trace their histories.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there are certainly other records that have survived, um, but most of them were destroyed in the fire, and some were, you know, survive as copies, or some survive as actual documentations that families have held on to. So there is information from that time period, but much of that 50-year span is gone. Very, very sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did rebuild. And they did reopen, and the new main building uh, reopened on December 17th, 1900. So to begin that new century, uh, a whole new Ellis Island uh, was opened up, and that uh, very first day... Yeah, just in time for the last-minute Christmas rush, I guess. (laughs) Exactly, because that first day, they processed 2,251 immigrants to America. And I, I want to kind of pause for a moment and talk a little bit about those people, about those individuals, and a little bit about their journey, because it was so difficult for so many of those folks and so easy for some others. Yeah.
0: At best, the the barge journey took a week, at best, to get from Europe to America. That's assuming, again, that there was decent weather at sea. And that there were no other problems that occurred,
1: yeah, but you're assuming that is one straight trip from one port to the next, agreed, yeah, and yeah. that if you were on the last port leaving on that ship you you might have kind of lucked out in that regard, and if you had good weather and it was smooth sailing uh you you could have definitely made it in that time for some folks, it took nearly a month, you know it was a long journey in some in some cases, and not every one journey was going to be exactly the same, right uh and if you were wealthy if you had chosen to take your wealth and bring it to a new country you could do so by becoming a first or second class passenger you know you bought a ticket you had a generally pretty nice cabin you were able to go up on deck walk around get some fresh air it probably was a pretty enjoyable voyage for you on the other hand there were third class passengers yeah steerage passengers
0: i can't can't help, i can't help but keep thinking of the movie titanic when uh, i think about this because even though that's later Um, Nevertheless, it's basically the same function you're referring to is a cruise ship that was used for both leisure as well as just basic human trafficking. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Because what they ended up doing is these, uh, you know, these um, steamship companies, right? Big companies, White Star, Red Star, Hamburg America, many others uh, took advantage of the situation they knew that they had a certain number of cabins and a certain number of seats that they could sell for first and second class. And they didn't oversell those. That would be bad to their image. What they didn't care about was how many people they could stuff below deck. Yeah. And we're talking about, again, best case scenario, takes you a week to get there. Maybe you're leaving from one port to the other and you run into bad weather. takes you about two weeks to do it. Imagine being crammed in the bottom of a ship for two weeks with swells you know feet high and you are literally packed in like sardines you don't have any breathing room you are most likely horribly seasick you're vomiting you're probably getting sick from anyone else who may have already had a pre-existing condition when they boarded the ship so god knows what other ailments you may have been inflicted with and you're not allowed to go up and see and breathe and be treated as a human being you're 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 cargo at that point it's pretty disgusting yeah and for a lot of families that's how they made it here folks for a lot of your families if you're an american listener that's how you made it here so keep that in mind it's it's something very important to remember and not only that but you know we're talking about almost the end of this voyage because for a lot of families this starts years earlier it starts in their country of origin it starts oftentimes in periods of economic strife or
0: political strife or you know, you know military uh, fallout from it's whatever it's the same war. story over and over again it's sometimes you know, the family gets split apart so one person or a couple people make it out to work in America where the wages are better and they send the money back so that they can afford to send the rest of the family over, you know?
1: Yeah, or some folks are so desperate they don't even have an opportunity to do that. So they'll spend years just saving money in their own country to equal, you know,
0: 18 to yeah. 25 American dollars. And that's to say nothing of the misprocessing that took place when you got into the country, too. Because if you finally made it there, you know, you also have, unfortunately, the ignorance of these existing American citizens who have very little compassion for the cultures of uh, these immigrants coming through to the point where many people lost their last name because it was changed. It didn't didn't quite, they couldn't say it, so they just had to make another word for it. Well,
1: let's talk a little bit about that in a second, because that's part of this whole process, right? That's part of finally you get here. You've been on this absolutely, quite likely horrendous journey to get here, however long it's really taking you, whether you're talking about the last part of the voyage or the years that it took you to get to that point right and you arrive at this what looks like a like a palace like a city uh we have you know descriptions of individuals who have left us that legacy who have written their descriptions of first coming in or have left them to us in the form of documentaries when they were little little children who arrived and now you know much older and probably have many since have passed away but this, this idea, this, this grandeur, this incredible place in front of you. And then when you get in, you went from one cattle processing location to another. Your first class passengers all got to dispark right away, right? They walked right into Ellis Island. They had their fancy clothes, their suitcase. They had all their money with them. Uh, their processing was quick, real
0: quick. Two to five hours, done, out. And that's come to America. That's long by today's standards. I mean, I, yeah, I know you have to get through customs when you go to an airport, but Jesus, five yeah. hours. But no, I'm talking about the entire immigration process. Yeah, I'm talking about
1: from start to finish. Like, you started your paperwork, and you were out the door. Two to five hours, you're done. And uh, if you were a third-class passenger, and maybe you're really lucky, maybe that day you didn't have a huge influx of, of folks coming through Ellis Island, you could, if you had all your ducks in a row possibly get out in about the same amount of time if he were really lucky so what does that mean okay well it means that you have the proper amount of money america didn't want just anyone coming in uh we might have had a really beautiful poem that was talking about embracing the poor uh but they were poor to a certain degree you had to have at least something
0: yeah and uh and keep keep in mind that was a that was a poem that was written 30 years after <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the existing immigration situation was well in effect. Exactly. Uh, some folks,
1: you know, came through with as little as maybe 10 bucks in their pocket and were able to, to manage to make it through. Other folks were turned away with, you know, a little bit more. But the ideal uh, was between 18 and $25. That's what you needed to have on you, which sounds like nothing today. It sounds like, you know, just go into your wallet. You probably got that in there now. Back then, that was a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about... Papers that maybe cost like a newspaper would have cost like a penny, maybe yeah, sure maybe, maybe a nickel, yeah, you know, a nickel would have better gotten you a meal, <laughs> yeah, you know
1: you know we we're, we're talking about a very different America at that time, and uh not only that, but you had to pass the medical inspection too, mm-hmm. and this is what held up a lot of folks and a lot of families. Uh, you know, they processed men and women and children separately from one another. So immediately you get there and you've, you're huddled together and you think, oh, this is so great. We're finally here. And you get separated and you have no idea if you're going to actually reunite with your family five hours later or at all. And while you're being waiting, you know, while you're waiting, I should say, to be processed, you know, meaning you come through, you sit down with somebody, uh, they would have had some interpreters available, but not enough to handle the workload that they were seeing every single day. So if you didn't know any English, this was going to be a kind of a difficult conversation for you to have. And you had to answer twenty nine questions. Um, many of them were pretty basic, like, what is your first and last name? But for some folks, they had no idea how to read or write. They weren't literate. Uh, they've heard their name their entire lives, but they didn't know how to write it. So they'd say, you know, my name is Schultz. Great. How do you spell it? I don't know. Never had to. And so, you know, there's this big misconception that these clerks who were, you know, processing these folks forced them to take, like, American-sounding names so they would, you know, assimilate easier with their communities, that's actually very, very false. Uh, Many times any kind of misspelling or any kind of misunderstanding of that name or more Americanization of that name happened simply because they weren't familiar with the system of, you know, alphabet or letters that were uh, originally in that country, and they were kind of just doing their best based on what they were hearing. Um, For some families, they knew exactly what their name was, and they wrote it down, and that was what was on their papers as they got processed. But they quickly learned, after being there for maybe you know a few months or even one full generation, where their children picked up the idea. They then went ahead and changed their names themselves, and, and sometimes changed them dramatically. So I just want to clear up that misconception because it's a very common one, and one that I held myself before you know doing this research. There you go. There you go. Uh, but to back to those folks who are waiting in line while all this is going on. There were a team of doctors who would be paroling around and they were watching for any signs of illness anything at all and it, it got to the point where it was said that uh, you could tell whether or not somebody had you know varicose veins from from across the room you know I, I'm sure that's a bit of an exaggeration, but they could tell any kind of uh, illness just by by observing these people. Uh, Or what they thought were illnesses. And if you were thought to be sick, you were immediately moved off. And, you know, the the facilities there could handle, you know, a couple thousand people. They had these dormitories, these these bunk rooms where they just packed people in there, uh, many of them who were ill, making those who were suspected to be ill but weren't actually pretty healthy, now most likely ill and uh it was kind of a, a difficult experience some families were allowed to be kept together others were not but they you imagine trying to sleep in a room with 2000 people that's, can, you, can you imagine the the sheer number of 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 snorers yeah. <laughs> alone that would have kept you awake one person described it as listening to the dreams of a thousand different people in a thousand different languages and again that's kind of an exaggeration too but you know it it's It speaks to how uncomfortable this whole process would have been. Sure. And, you know, sometimes this whole excuse of it was of the time kind of gets a little bit wearing because a lot of the doctors, their system for, you know, marking individuals as being ill was to literally mark them with chalk. They go around to people and put these different symbols on them to designate what sort of illness they suspected they might have. Uh, and you have no idea what's going on when you just got off the ship and somebody's coming over and marking you. You don't really question it a lot of times. Some folks kind of got wise to, it, or may have been tipped off before they even left. And their solution to get into the country was to simply turn their clothes inside out, Hmm. make the chalk go away. Uh, and they were fine. They came in and had lives and they were okay. Some folks weren't so lucky. About 2% of the 12 million people that, you know, came through were turned away. And almost always it was on the basis of illness. Occasionally, it was due to a previous c- criminal record, um, but more often than not, it was due to being sick.
0: Hmm.
1: And, so they were deported back to the real country? Yeah, Many times, they were separated from their families. The healthy members were processed and sent on, if they were lucky, just a few hours. Uh, and these folks who would be left behind, who were ill, you know, if they couldn't make them better, in a sense, because they did have a hospital on the grounds, which also had so many problems. That could be a whole... Episode in of itself, and may need to be in the future, um, but uh, many times they were simply sent back and deported. Or if you didn't have enough money, they sent you back and you were deported. Some families pulled their their money, realized that they couldn't bring everybody in, and many of the elderly chose to just go back and die. Wow, I know it's sad, and it, it's it's not a big surprise when it's sometimes referred to as this island of tears. Uh, sometimes those can be understood as tears of joy. And I'm sure there were so many of those uh, for folks who finally did make it. But there were also tears of sadness. And we have to kind of balance that, right? We have to keep that in perspective uh, because it's important. It's important to remember yeah. that.
0: And in a way, that's why uh, Lazarus wrote her famous poem, the famous sonnet about liberty, right? Give us your poor, give us your hungry. Just not too poor and yeah, not too hungry. Exactly. Those
1: can go back. Uh, the yeah. other big issue was how did, were people dealing with those who were mentally ill or those who suffered from developmental delays? Because uh, many times they were also sent back and they were sent back without the support and family that kept them safe. Yeah. How horrid is that? And yeah. and never to know what happened to those people, you know, because many times once you, you get deported back and you yourself don't have full command over your life, you need somebody to assist you and make sure that you're safe, what happens to you, you get preyed on, you know, you end up becoming um, one of those victims. And some folks on their way back committed suicide uh, just because they they felt they never made it. They had really nothing and nowhere else to go. And so it was right. easier for them to simply jump
0: overboard. I mean, that's the one, if you would want to look at one word that America symbolized to these immigrants, it was hope, yeah. right? Like you said, there were so many different reasons that brought them to America from their homeland as it was. The big thing was that everyone wanted to start a new life. And the whole idea of getting turned away is, I mean, I guess if you would never had a taste of what being in America was like, it's not as crushing. But when you have pretty much put all your eggs in one basket and this is it, you know, I can understand why the devastation that it could have on you, especially if you are a person who does have those special needs and may not be able to process that rejection uh, in a way that the average person can, you know?
1: Yeah, and there was sometimes an opportunity, though. There were some of those folks who were initially turned away who could appeal and could actually stick around and make their case. And if they were able to do so, because they had to make it for themselves, they didn't really there, – there were eventually immigration lawyers that was introduced. But you know, for many of those first immigrants, they had to simply defend themselves. And some of them succeeded and were able to – Right, that injustice and be able to enter the country. So, right. you know, I, I don't want to make, I don't want to paint it like saying we, we sent you know so many of these people away. We didn't. We we actually processed a enormous amount of people and brought them into our country. Uh, but it is still important to remember those sad instances that that did exist. Yeah, um, because they're a part of its history. You know, we can't ignore that. Uh, I will say that the the island itself went through a lot of changes as time went on. In the early part of the 20th century, for about 15 years, from 1900 to 1915, there was a lot of effort put into expanding this island. And you talk about those first three acres that it you know made it up. It eventually expanded to 27 and a half acres, and a lot of that was actually done with landfill. Uh, a lot of it was uh, from ship ballasts, and they used mm-hmm. it to fill up that area and build on top from there. Uh, And they constructed a wide variety of facilities, uh, including the hospital that I talked about, uh, dormitories, kitchens, uh, all all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, And by the time the First World War was in full swing and America had now entered into it, um, the the immigration that was going on previously in such huge numbers, I mean, we're talking about 1.25 million people prostituted in 1907 alone. Wow. Enormous amount. That almost stopped completely. So, really, between eighteen or nineteen eighteen and, and nineteen nineteen, there wasn't much going on in the way of, of processing immigrants. Instead, it was being used uh, to, you know, keep suspected alien enemies under, you know, lock and key. Right. So it became a detention center at that point, point.
0: and it would return to
1: that again um, during the Second World
0: War. Yeah. Well, you also have. We haven't really talked about this much at all, but we also have. Around this time, the Red Scare going on. Oh, Ray. yeah! Because you know, 1918, shortly after World War One, the Russian monarchy Was collapses. Yeah, exactly. Tsar S- Nicholas II gone. Exactly because of the Bolshevik uh, Revolution, and you ultimately now, <laughs> when you have the rise of communism in Russia and these ideals spreading over into America as well, uh, you have these. You have a genuine fear against communism spreading in general.
1: And a fear of Ellis Island, because if you were a member of, of a communist party at that time, particularly in New York, you were singled out, identified, sent to Ellis Island, and many of these folks were deported. Right. So it became the opposite. It became an area of deportation. And opposite of its symbolism that it represented as so many
0: of these immigrants who came here in the first place
1: to escape that kind of behavior. Uh,
0: I want to clarify. It was by 1918. I believe the revolution actually had started in 1917. It did. Correct. You are very
1: correct. Yeah. Um, But by 1920, it had reopened and immigration services were back in full force. Um, So, you know, it, it kind of goes through these up and down type periods and that becomes more and more prevalent. Um, Because by 1924, immigration in America had changed very dramatically. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Chinese Exclusion Act, the alien contract labor law. uh, There was a lot of things going on. And unfortunately, we just – we don't have time to talk about all these important things. In the 1920s,
0: you have labor unions starting to begin. Like you have a lot of – you know, basically the AFL CIO basically forming, you know. Right. And uh the idea of working conditions improving across the board, whether you were a naturalized citizen or you were a, a foreign born citizen, didn't matter. But I mean obviously those who were working uh in these labor unions or in the, for these, these jobs would have probably have come from a, a sure. foreign background.
1: And and while we don't have time to go in into great detail. It's very important, however, to mention the National Origins Act. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with this? Only, only very, very vaguely. So here's the idea: they wanted to really, based on the on the the 19 uh, or sorry the 1890 and the 1910 censuses that were done, they really wanted to make sure that um, they were only allowing certain ethnic groups to come into the United States. They they greatly limited it based on the percentage of those individuals who were living in the United States at that time.
0: So essentially what you're saying is it's legal racial
1: profiling. hmm Yeah, exactly. And they were trying to keep Eastern Europeans out and Northern and Western Europeans in. Gee, I wonder why that would be, Eric. Oh, I don't know. Maybe because of ridiculous ideas of inferiority among ethnic groups. How about anti-Semitism? Uh, yeah, that's too. <laughs> yeah. That, and they wanted to keep Russians and those who shared similar ideas to to the communist manifesto to yeah. coming into the United States. So, yeah, not the greatest moment in history, I'm afraid. But um even 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 with that, uh it, it's still an incredible place not just uh for you to visit and to learn about its history and to, you know, embrace this beautiful museum and see uh, a lot of those relics and and what it took for people to to actually get here and see that hope manifest into a dream in in reality um but you know it, it also does represent some of the worst times that, that we've had uh in our in our recent history in the past yeah. hundred years again I mentioned that the during the second world war um people who were who are essentially merchant seamen of you know, Italy or, or Germany or what have you who are detained were brought here uh, to Ellis Island. And by this time, the actual processing of immigrants had, de- you know, depleted significantly. Uh, and this would also become the U.S. Coast Guard's training grounds in that area, uh, where nearly 60,000 servicemen were, were trained. Uh, the very last detainee, a New- a Norwegian merchant seaman, uh, he was released uh, off of Ellis Island in 1954, and at that point, it officially stops any kind of function yeah. um, and would be declared in 1965 by LBJ. He uh, declares it a national monument, and uh, it, it did reopen uh, for that function a couple of times, but it really wasn't until about 1984 that it really reopened in full force and, and would become what we know today now as, as this beautiful National Park and Museum.
0: Exactly. Well, thank you for sharing, Eric. That was a really awesome... I've never quite heard that that history of Ellis Island quite described that way before. Yeah,
1: and, and I'd say if you are a, uh, a resident of the New York or New Jersey area, uh, and you've never been to Ellis Island, make the effort. Go do so. It's a short ferry ride over there. Uh, even myself, with my severe pathological fear of boats, I would actually make that trip. Uh, as I did to uh, Alcatraz in those horrifying 15 minutes of my life that I wish never to
0: repeat ever
1: again, I would do the same thing.
0: Just so you know, the barges or the ferries that go there are a lot better. Their seating is very, very stable. You do not feel like you're on water. It just feels like you're moving. Yeah, no,
1: I'm sorry. A floating coffin is a floating coffin. Um, I I, I don't care how calm the water is. It's, 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 um, It's a floating coffin. I don't do boats
0: no okay
1: i'm just saying
0: okay
1: (laughs) i'm serious i know you are our listeners are like oh this is funny i'm terrified of boats they scare the crap out of me i wouldn't you know what i would have stayed wherever i was from i would have never made it to america uh i would have i would have lived and died in another country if i had been born there because i would have not made that journey yeah I think you
0: have, I think it's something else, but anyway. let's, <laughs> What's let's that non, No, 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 no. Look, th- this is not the place for us to discuss this. Ladies and really gentlemen, isn't. according to Brian, apparently there's some other deep-seated psychological trauma that is the origin of I don't know reports. what it is. I am not a therapist, nor am I a psychologist, so it is not my place to say that. I
1: have honestly no reason to be scared of them. I just am. It's weird. Okay. Anyway, this has been an interesting topic. It has yes, indeed. Uh, Please um, go out there and research it. There's there's been a lot of great material written on Ellis Island, and from the very words of the immigrants themselves. And I encourage you to read them. Indeed. Uh, why don't we get into some feedback this week in listener feedback? Okay, this first piece comes from Fabian uh, for your Nerds on History pod. I believe he's referring to us. Uh, P.S. Big fan. Started listening a few months ago to get me uh, through work. Never really liked history in school because of the way they reached it. If they reached it in the way you guys did, I'm pretty sure more kids would attend. Not only history, but other subjects. Keep doing what you do and always have fun. Thank you very much, Fabian. Uh, That is extraordinarily kind of you. And we do have fun. We love what we do here each and every day. I think that shows. I think we have, um, you know, beyond just our sense of humor, right? I think just the passion that we have for each and every topic that comes across our way. Uh, is something I'm very proud of. So thank you very much, Fabian.
0: Definitely. We have a general one from Jill uh at Monkeying Around uh on Twitter. It said, can't wait until you uh are up to an episode every day. I have three left to catch up on and go through <laughs> for a day at work. What you gonna do? Withdrawal. Hashtag what you gonna do, hashtag withdrawal. So uh well there you go. Our audience is starting to demand that we produce more content. And so it shall be, eventually.
1: Seriously, it's going to happen. I know we keep teasing you practically every week now, which is probably getting really annoying, but uh, we have good stuff in the works, folks, and uh, you will be, I I think, not sorely disappointed.
0: And folks, you know what you can also do if you want to continue to give us that feedback, or if you haven't yet, a couple ways you can do that. One uh, a review on iTunes, and we actually have a wonder couple wonderful reviews that we got that we didn 't have time to read tonight uh that we 'll have to share next time, but they were but we really do thank you for those they were the most recent two we got were five stars and uh thank you so much um it 's really great to see that vote of confidence every time uh we get those um
1: yeah we 're up to four and a half stars now
0: exactly yeah oh, great. with seventy reviews it 's pretty cool that 's pretty good, plus. yeah. And uh, pat ourselves on the back. Pat if you want to give us more specific feedback to us, you can go through uh, Facebook and Twitter, like we just talked about, at Nerdonomy. Uh, and you can also go to our website, nerdonomy.com, where you can click on the feedback link and send us some feedback. But you no, know, Eric, tell us, what else can you do when you go to that website? Oh, ooh, you can click on the donate button and give us some money. Indeed. You also have a link to our affiliates, uh, namely through Audible and through Amazon, mostly through Audible. On the right side, you click on that or you go to audibletrial.com forward slash Nerdonomy and if you sign up for a free trial, we get a little commission off of that. Uh, if you can't afford the, the free trial uh, or, the, uh, or the, I should say, the subscription to Audible or any of the other affiliates we do, um, going to that donation link, you can send us as little as a dollar and that will help us maintain the podcasts that we are doing now as well as get some things we need to get taken care of like uh the ceiling on our studio permanent ceiling indeed I want you cool
1: my friend as always i thank you
0: of course thank you for doing the telling us a wonderful story uh, yeah i'm amazed i did it so coherently considering i, <laughs> I yeah. may very well pass out the next few yeah. moments and yeah, considering we just doubled up episodes, we, we've been recording for like you know two hours at this point. So, um, you did pretty well, sir. You held it together. Thank you. You're welcome, folks. It's that time. So, until we meet again, stay nerdy and to tune into us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Ciao. Okay, I'm just dreaming. I'm just dreaming. I'm gonna walk back in there, and it's just gonna be Eric. <sighs> okay.
1: Okay. Seriously, just please put down the lightsaber. Put down the TARDIS cookie jar. Oh my God! Please.
0: Why is he wearing my Batman mask? Why is he wearing my Batman mask? That is not okay.
1: Brian, I just, I just want you to think for a <clears throat> moment and consider how long it really takes to get here from New Zealand. Just think about it. I think he deserves a cow. You can keep it. He's cool. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he's cool.